Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the shenanigans. It was the early 80s, and sex was still a good way to meet new people. The disappointment. Now that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. And the self-confidence. I'm six foot, three inches tall, and maintain a very consistent panda bear shape. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today, our interview with Nana. Hey, hey, no, 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 Spiracy, Spiracy. It's not Nana, it's Nina. Nina Blackwood? Nina Blackwood, of course. How can I forget? No 99 red balloons in this. I still like 99 red balloons. Can I still play the song? Yeah, play it on your own time can't stand that track <laughs> what's your problem do you even know your daughter there's no way she likes that song or oh, oh, oh. is she in a coma we are so lucky we had uh nina blackwood on the phone with us for 40 minutes yeah 40 lovely minutes and she could not have been nicer yeah just the, the sweetest person I, mean, I was walking on clouds the whole day uh, uh balloons clouds <laughs> yeah so nina uh as everyone knows one of the original mtv vjs is promoting the new book called VJ, The Unplugged Adventures of MTV's First Wave. And it came out in, I believe, May. Yep, right before my birthday, because I got a, cop- right? got a copy for my birthday. And uh, they've been on the uh, book tour since then. We caught up to her when she was back in her home in Maine. Uh, it was 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It was 6 a.m. Pacific Time, where, where poor Brad <laughs> joined us. And while still wiping the sleep from your eyes, I you know. Hey, I'm I'm willing to make a sacrifice to talk to someone as cool as Nina Blackwood. So this is how the whole thing got started. About a month ago, I reached out to the uh, the media contact for the VJs. They actually have their own person who kind of arranges um, their whereabouts and their activities. And I'd asked him for help because um, I had not seen the book yet. Yeah, I wanted to know if there were any stories about Adam Ant because. Oh yeah. Remember, we interviewed. I interviewed Adam Ant, and I wanted to know if they had any stories. And so, what I got in return was, you know, as as we have we as we've discussed, there is a passage about Adam Ant in the book. Yep. And it's really funny. But both Nina and Martha both sent me messages on Facebook saying, "You got to ask him about this. You got to ask him about that." That's so cool. And I thought it was so cool. And so, as a result of that, I was like, "Well, Nina, since I have you, since I have you here." Let's talk about the book, you know, in the next week. And so, ta-da, Nina Blackwood for 40 minutes. And I could have talked to her for, for like four hours easily. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you know, and we we barely scratched the topic of small British cars. I mean, come on. Yeah. For those for those of you who don't enjoy uh, uh, British automobiles, they'll be about three minutes late in the interview where you might want to, like, go grab a sandwich. But if, if you do enjoy it, oh. Oh, it's great you. stuff. It's it's quality quality information. <laughs> so so let's set up the interview a little bit. Um, Nina does talk about a, a, a several stories that if you have not read the book, you might kind of scratch your head a little bit. Yeah. So let's fill you in a little bit on some of that stuff. Uh, first of all, there's a story in there that Nina writes that sh- that caught both me and Brad really off guard, and that's that she had a bit of a relationship with John Waite. And that the song "Missing You" was written about her. Yeah, and and it's told in a way that it's just it feels very just deeply personal. And I was almost surprised to see something that kind of personal in the book. Right. And when it became like knowledge that uh, you know supposedly oh you know I guess other women came up and said well no he told me he wrote it about me and you know he told me he wrote about me. But I guess, and as she'll explain in the interview, you know, it was it was 
John Waite writing about Nina Blackwood, which I just think is so, I mean, just so cool. It's not even funny. And uh, I, I, I got to admit, I feel like a total dweeb for bringing out the whole, well, I talked to John Waite one time and he did this. And I don't know what I was trying to prove. No, I, I thought that was good. It was a nice little give and take for you and, and Nina to talk about him. It gave her some framework. And she enjoyed the story. Yeah, I guess she did. And then she talks about Martha and Bob Dylan. And I guess, and maybe Brad, maybe you remember the story better than I do. Yeah. So Martha had gotten the the interview with Bob Dylan, which you know, incidentally made um, made Mark really angry. Like, why is she getting that interview? I should be the one getting. It. I'm the serious guy here. So Mark she, Goodman has no sense of humor. Yeah. So it seems. Um, but uh, so she went over and did this interview, and the manager said, uh, you know, Bob wants to know if you can go with us to Ireland. And so, you know, that's like if someone asks you if you're a god, if Bob Dylan asks you if you want to come along, you say yes. Yes. So <laughs> she, uh, you know, she, I guess she didn't. Well, she said she claims that she told everybody that this happened and all the other VJs are like, we had no idea you were doing that. So no problem with it. Yeah. It's just one of those things that she kind of. You know, one of these great stories that she forgot to share with him. Yeah. So, and then the other thing that Nina talks about a little bit is, uh, and she discusses this in the book. Actually, all the VJs talk about it in the book um, that she got married without telling anybody at MTV that she was getting married, and you know, basically that th- there's a little bit of fallout from that in the book, and then there's some fallout. You know, Nina has some part- that relationship goes a little sour, and Nina talks a little bit about that in the, inter- in the interview. Yeah. But it's a great interview. It's 40 minutes long. I'm telling you, you're going to want to listen to all of it. She's such a sweetheart. The book, again, is called VJ, The Unplugged Adventures of MTV's First Wave. And now I give you the first lady of MTV herself, Nina Blackwood. Hey, this is Nina. How are you, Steve? Oh, my God. What an honor. Oh, well, good morning. Good morning. Um, also with us on the line today is uh, my co-host, Brad Williams, who woke up early in L.A. just to talk to you. Wow, yeah, it is early. In, oh, my God, Brad, yeah. What is it, 6 o'clock out there? Yeah, you know it. <laughs> Hi, Brad. Where do you live in L.A.? What part of L.A.? Um, I'm out in Santa Clarita. Out by Medicare. Oh, God. Are, have you been... Uh, uh, affected by the fires? You know what? They're not too far from me, but it's it's one of those things where it would take, you know, society would have to collapse before my house would burn down. There's about a thousand concrete shingled houses between that and me, so. Ah, uh, yeah. You're in that development out there, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the weather has really turned, though. We got our marine layer back, and I think they'll get it knocked down uh, in the next couple days. Oh, boy. I tell you, that I, I know. I, I just. Because I used to live out in L.A., so, yeah. you know, every time, you know, I'm looking, I go, oh, my God, here we go again. And it's early. You guys shouldn't even Yeah, it started that. really, we had a really dry winter. Really dry I know. Winter. I mean, it's not, I mean, spring is when it's green, supposedly, not fires. Yeah. Very scary. Well, thank you for getting up, and I'm glad that, you know, you're, you're safe. Where you, and you're also near Magic Mountain. That's right. And I am yeah. <laughs> thrilled to get the chance to talk with you this morning this is really great well i think it's really sweet that you woke up so early and (laughs) and here we are (laughs) we've read the book cover to cover and enjoyed every second of it Um, oh good whose idea was it to write the book well actually um it, it goes back um, geez, I don't know if it was like nine years ago, something like that, eight or nine years ago, but JJ was still alive. And we thought, um, you know, it would be a good idea to write a book because we have a unique uh, vantage point that nobody uh, other than the five of us uh, had. You know, I don't care, you know, if they were producers or executives or whatever, nobody was in our shoes. And it's kind of uh, an interesting perspective. So, um, the last time, sadly, I saw JJ was when we were in a lawyer's office signing paperwork to start shopping the story. And then JJ passed away. Uh, the four of us continued with a writer that really didn't work out. And between that and we were really uh, grieving 
for JJ, we kind of lost steam between the writer not, you know, just wasn't, he wasn't going in the right direction and us just being sad that JJ was gone. We kind of just said, yeah, you know. So, you know, it really remains um, a non-subject until about, I guess it was three years ago that Alan um, met a writer down where he used to live, uh, Alabama, and uh, he said, you know, why don't we revisit this? And we thought, oh, okay, that's a good idea, and plus the 30th was coming up, so it made sense, but that writer, uh, for various reasons, didn't work out either. But we still wanted to do the book. We had the fire going then. We thought, you know, the more we were talking about it, the more we thought, yeah, this is a really good thing. And uh, we um, interviewed several writers. I always, I got to put it on record, I loved Gavin from day one. <laughs> and he was my choice. I didn't have to interview anybody else but Gavin. I loved him immediately. And we settled on Gavin, who was absolutely the right person. And here we are, uh, well, now it's June, but May, and the book came out. <laughs> and so you had the big press tour that followed. I mean, that must have been yeah. something else. Well, yeah, and, uh, you know, of course, it's always great when the four of us get together. Uh, it was very, very intense. I was saying that there was more hoopla going on than when we were actually at MTV. <laughs> you sure. know, they had us running like we were up, you know, first thing in the morning until, you know, going all day and all night with this. So it was um, it was a really cool experience. It was very interesting, and I think on... Uh, on uh, some levels, especially I can say uh, for Martha, Mark, and myself, I felt uh, an extra uh, deeper bond with us. Alan, I kept telling him to shut up. You know? <laughs> so, so I guess my bond was a little bit different with him. It's like, would you let somebody else talk? You know, but like brothers and sisters, I mean, you kind of, there's, you know, the love is still there. It's just, you know, I'm an only child, so this is my experience of having a family, you know, of brothers and a sister, you know, and you could get really annoyed, but you still love the person, so. <laughs> you, you, you talk about Alan as being the chatty one. I did not realize, I would never have guessed that he was the chatty one until I read the book. Well, you know what's funny? The dynamics changed because... Uh, when J.J. was alive, I think all of us deferred to J.J., and he had that beautiful, booming voice and his presence that when he would speak, everybody was shut up, you know? It's it's like, so So when he was kind of the, the leader in that regard, and so Alan was the funny one. He was the jokester. And so the dynamics were... You know, the, we had the um, the father figure. We had Mark, who was the older FM brother. You had me that tended to be the quietest because I didn't want to try and overtalk everybody because everybody else was talking. Martha, of course, the little sister, and Alan, the jokester. So the dynamics were different, but now... Because I, I know I was getting very frustrated, and I was talking to actually Martha and Mark about this, and Alan himself before we even started. I never remember Alan blabbing so much in the day. So this is, I think, I think because the dynamic shifted a bit, you know, without JJ being there. And Alan, I know, um, he, he's, he, he's more of a comedian mentality. You know, and comedians tend to try and fill all the spaces. You know, like dead air is like bad. And I think that's what he's doing. And I think that's why he, he seems to be more uh, vocal than he used to be. Because I never remember ever, <laughs> you know, going, would you shut up? But <laughs> I can count. I mean, I don't even know I'm saying it. A friend of mine watched the Today Show. And I go, oh, everything's going fine except for Alan's really frustrating me. You know, and they go, yeah, you told him to shut up on the Today Show. And it's like, oops. <laughs> what <laughs> was like? <laughs> so, but I love him. You know, it's just, it's funny. And in the book, too, he's like, you said, it's like, blah, 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 blah. You know, so. 
So, Nina, I love the conversational style in the book, and you know, there's a, some great give and take and kind of back and forth. And so, from that, from the way it's structured, it seems obvious to me, anyway, that parts of it, at least you're written with people in the room together having a conversation. But can you tell us a little bit more about that process? How it was? Um, well, well, everybody but me, because I live in Maine, so. Um, I didn't really um, get to be in the same room with the others. Um, um, Gavin, bless his heart, made a separate trip to come up to see me in Maine. So um, I can't speak from the fact that I was sharing okay. in those conversations. Uh, mine were kind of one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. uh, sometimes we would do... Uh, you know, we had a couple of conversations, all of us in a conference call, but um, mostly mine was, and I'm just talking for myself, not for the other three. Sure, Martha sure. Will, will, you know, Martha and, and Alan and Martha and Mark all got together, and I think Mark and Alan got together. I'm not sure about that, but, you know, so mine, uh, yeah, mine was one-on-one -on -one with Gav. Okay. Was that? Do you think that was easier for you? I know that there are a couple places in the book where it comes out that you are a very shy person. Um, was yeah. that easier for you to have those as one-on-one? -on -one, do you think rather than with the? Group um, I think. I, I. I mean, it wasn't purposefully done. That I know. Maybe Gavin. Gavin might have because he was really sensitive, and I know he was very, very um, intuitive. Uh, with me, there were some things that I that ended up in the book that I probably wouldn't have put in the book, but there would have been big holes in, you know, my story, so to speak. And so, um, I think to answer your question, yeah, probably so, um, probably so, yeah, because I, I I am, um, yeah, I am shy, and especially talking about some of the stuff that up until the book. Um, really only a few very close friends knew about, you know. Um, sure. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so maybe maybe so. I mean, on the MTV stuff, uh, not so much. But on, like, the personal stories, I think, it, yeah, it was. Because even with him, uh, part of it, we were sitting in the lobby of the hotel he was staying at doing a lot of, <laughs> I kept explaining to the desk clerk, I go, we're really working on a book here. We're not vagrants, you know, because we spent <laughs> an entire day uh, in the lobby of a hotel talking to each other. And, um, you know, there were... Coffee. Yeah, 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 sucking up the free coffee. Uh, it was luckily off-season when he came to Maine, so so the hotel wasn't very busy. It was in November. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and even so, you know, it was like bits and pieces. You know, I was like, okay, but I trusted Gavin. I loved Gavin, and I still do. I mean, I, I absolutely think he's wonderful as a person and as a writer, so... Um, if it was somebody else, I may not have been able to to share some of those things. You know, you, you mentioned specifically stories that you know pre MTV that only a few people knew. Can can you give us an example of a story in particular from the book that that nobody really knew about that you knew you'd have to relive it and 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 something you really wouldn't have rather not revisited? Well, you know, um, a little bit with uh, the story, not pre-MTV, but um, uh, a little bit with the story pertaining to uh, John Waite and, um, uh, you know, in the Missing You thing. That was a really, really special, uh, and, and it still is. I mean, we're in, you know, still in uh, communication via <clears throat> you know, email and stuff like that. So I probably, you know, I, I you know, I, I know it's a story that was part and parcel, but then on the other hand, I couldn't not talk about John because he was very much a part of uh, my time at MTV. When I think of my, my life in New York and the MTV day, days, John is the person I think about, you know? I mean, he was part of it. Yeah. He was very much a part of of that. So I couldn't not tell that. And then um, the other thing was after MTV and, um, 
you know, uh, the married part and what happened with, with I still can't say the D word. <laughs> I really can't. That was really traumatic and really, um, as you you know in the book, it really, uh, you know, really fed into you know me ultimately almost committing suicide. You know, so though that in particular, more so than John, uh, because some people did. I made the mistake of telling Mark about it and <laughs> about the missing you thing. It's like, how oh, why'd I do that? You know, <laughs> never hear the end of it. But the, that part, um, you know, I mean, it's it's it just it was really oh, <clears throat> the low point in my life period and I hope I never ever get to that point again and um, you know that was definitely only uh, very few people knew what I was going through because I, I basically was hiding myself away um, so that whole thing uh, but again there would have been the whole well how did she get from from this, you know, Entertainment Tonight and all this stuff, to there, you know, it had to be, you know, it had to be addressed, you know. It, it, I think the John Waite story was the one that shocked me when I first read it. I couldn't believe it. I actually interviewed John Waite uh, two or three years ago, and um, of course we talked about Missing You, and I think, we even, I think I even asked him who was it about, and he said, it's about someone I was seeing at the time. And he wasn't any more specific, and he was he was a nice guy during the interview, and I, and I actually got a chance to introduce him on stage um, in Florida, and I was nervous. I had never done that before. Oh! And he was backstage, and he was reading the article that I had written about him, and the, the hall, uh, the venue president came up and said, hey, John, this is Steve, and he's going to introduce you. He's a little nervous, though. And so John went into this little bit about how the Beverly Hillbillies theme song sounds like a Bob Dylan song. And he started playing it for me, and I started feeling better, and I was able to get out there and not throw up on stage. <laughs> well, that's off the wall, isn't it? <laughs> that's really like out there. Uh, now, John is a... I love John. I mean, you know, it says in the book, and, and he's just a... He's a very unique guy, and he's... he's, he's uh, <laughs> That's bizarre. That is just absolute. What what Dylan song did he say? It was it was it was it was, it was he did. Um, it was the theme to Beverly Hillbillies, the the TV show, and he just did it like he sang it at, like in a Bob Dylan voice to me. Oh no! And I thought I was gonna split myself laughing so hard. Oh god, that is hysterical. Yeah, he's a funny guy. He's he, the, the, but that's that's a good one. I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad it was a good experience for you. That's that's nice. Yeah, he's he, he he's a cool guy. He's a very cool guy. So I can't say more than even what's in the book because I said really how I feel about him in the book. Oh, and just to clarify, <laughs> he contacted me after. Uh, the book came out, and it was weird because we had been in contact, but all of a sudden, it's a Monday, and I'm getting these messages from my manager and from other people saying, John Waits looking for you in a very public way, and I'm going, what? You know, and, I, I, and I'm going, well, why would he do that? I, 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 I had been in communication, you know, forewarned him about the book and explained where I was coming from so, so that he wouldn't, like, grab the book or, you know what I mean. I, 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 I was telling him, I said, look, nothing lascivious. It was just my view of what happened, blah, blah, blah. So I'm going, I'm panicking. I actually called Martha and shared this with her because she would, you know, she's the only other person that could understand, you know, the panic of putting something in the book and thinking you offended somebody, right? And I'm going, oh, my God, oh, no. Why, why, why didn't he just, you know, contact me through Facebook? He must be really upset, you know? And so... You know, I wrote a little thing, are you looking for me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he wrote back, and he clarified the fact, first of all, he, he liked the book, but he clarified the fact the song 
was indeed he says it is your song so he clarified the fact he says i never would have said that if it wasn't so there you go <laughs> i was very happy about that it was like okay all right i believed him but then you know there were all these other people saying stuff and i'm going well maybe that's not the truth you know so there you go when you were looking through the stories that the other vjs were telling were there things mm-hmm. that they said that surprised you Yes, <clears throat> and I think all of us were surprised at some some things. Um, one in particular that I still am going like, what? Uh, Mark says that they used to, um, he and Alan used to judge what kind of mood I was in uh, each day by how much he used the word rouge, but I mean, it's actually blush that I put on, and I'm going like, what? You know, first of all, I didn't think I was that moody, you know, and then also, it's like, well, why wouldn't the the cameraman or the producers have said that you have too much, you know, blush on or something? And I, I, I read that, and I'm going like, I mentioned it to Gavin, you know, our first run through, I made notes and what stuff, and he said, well, they all agreed on that, and I go, what? Uh, what? You know, so it was one of those, all of a sudden I, I felt like whatever happened to baby Jane, you know, with the, you know, on, on the side of the face, it's like climbing That's what they thought, you know. So, yeah, that was a funny one, you know. And then there there were a couple of things that actually I, I talked to Gavin that, that, um, Mark had written that was really off base. I mean, it 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 it, it wasn't, and and I did. I said, Gavin, I go. That's not even. That isn't even close to what the reality was, and uh, that got adjusted. Um, and then, of course, all of us were kind of surprised at um, the Martha and the Dylan thing. She swears she told us. All three of us say, no, we would have remembered that, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, and I think we would have, I mean, you normally would remember something, you know, about one of your VJs flying on uh, Dylan's private plane, so that was a revelation that it's like, what? <laughs> we didn't know about that. You never said, oh, yes, I didn't. No, you didn't, you know, so, <laughs> so yeah, there, there were a few. And I, and I also had no idea that um, Alan and Martha had a little thing, you know, a little flirtatious thing that was so much so that Alan's wife called Martha. I had no idea that that was going on. So, you know, yeah, there were there were some things. <laughs> I, had, I had to read that twice. I didn't believe it when I first read it. About Alan and Martha? Yeah. I know. It was like... And, you know, there's one, and I keep meaning to ask Martha, and it's one of those, I don't know where this came from, because it was also in, um, you know, the the MTV book, I Want My MTV, that thing that came out with Tannenbaum, Mm -hmm. uh, wrote, and I was there, and I haven't a clue who they're talking about, and then it was reiterated, I think, by Mark in this book, and... I, I thought, oh, I'm going to ask Martha when we're in New York, and I completely forgot. And it's one of those things I really just, of all the executives wanting to, it was said in cruder terms, sleep with Martha. And I, I'm like going, who? It's like Pittman was married, you know, to Sandy Pittman, totally different type than Martha. I mean, and, and he, you know, John Sykes, was going out with people like Carly Simon for crying out loud, mm. and and Les Garland was dating people like Maria Conchita Alonso and and um, Dale Bozio. You know, I'm going like, who are these executives that went? I mean, I was there, and I'm going like, it's so weird to me because. It's just one of those things. It's like, and I, 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 and I don't know where that came from. And I'm going like, well, who were these executives? Because they never, I mean, I never saw that. I never heard that at the time. And all of a sudden, like, you know, 30 years later, it's it's become like, 
you know, some sort of urban legend and I'm going, well, who are these people? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I know uh, fans did, you know, and there were, you know, guys in bands, but the executives, I'm like, really? You know, so, right? I'm like, wow. I, I, so that was, yeah, that was something. The uh, one of the things that, that, likewise, one of the things that stands out in the book is the number of musicians and men who have crushes on you, and you name them. I mean, uh, from Joe Cocker to John Cougar Mellencamp to even John Taylor of Duran Duran asking you out. I still can't believe you said no to him. You, you know that's so funny. Um, have you read uh, talking to girls about Duran Duran, Rob Sheffield? Sure. Yeah. Oh, isn't that great? I love Rob Sheffield. Rob actually is who turned us on to Gavin. They're very good friends. So, um, but I, after I read that book, I, and I normally don't do this, but I was emboldened to contact Rob Sheffield. I had never met him and tell him, well, because it's all about how all girls want to sleep with, with John Taylor, right? Right. And I said, wow, I just thought I'd share a story. <laughs> I said, I didn't know. And he said, wow, that's very admirable. But, uh, yeah, like Joe Cocker was very sweet, you know, just endearing and that voice. And talk about being a shy person, believe it or not, very shy. You know, kind of like, you know, when he talks, he'd look down and that just a really nice man. And. Um, and Mellencamp, I had no clue what was going on with that one. You know, it's like I, it's like the mouse just walked right into the trap. You know, but you know, I, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I ultimately got out of the trap. But and I love John, and um, you know, like in the book, I've, uh, you know, I've interviewed him, <clears throat> uh, you know, several times since then, and. You know, we both kind of laugh at it. He, you know, it's very funny. And he knows. He knows what he's about. He's the first person that calls himself a little bastard. You know, and I love him. And I'm so proud of, uh, Not, I'm not saying love like, you know, I mean John Waite type of thing. It's, you know, I, it's with the L-U-V. You know, I think he's a wonderful artist. And I am so proud of uh, the way his career has gone. And, you know, he really has that, that song, My Way. He has really done it his way. And uh, I think he's one of the more credible artists to have come out of, uh, of uh, the 80s. Really do. Sure, yeah. Yeah, Mellencamp's great, you know. So. And then, and then <laughs> buried in all these stories about these guys asking you out is this really sweet story of you and Adam Ant sharing oh. a bowl of rice pudding. And... <laughs> I interviewed him last week, and you told me that ahead of time, and, and you and Martha had both given me questions, which was so great of you to do, to ask Adam. But he was so touched that you remembered that story. Did he remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. He talked he about did. He did remember it. Oh, well, see, now I'm touched that he remembered. <laughs> yeah, and see, guys, and I don't mean, I'm not lumping you guys into this, but in general, because guys are like this, you know, they think that if a woman accepts, like, an invitation to go see a concert or dare they hang out afterwards, that automatically that means that they slept with them. You know, and, I, you know, that's not true. And I got the, they gave me such a hard time uh, in a funny way, teasing me, like knocking on the, the, the uh, uh, dressing room door. Hi, it's Adam Ships here, you know, when I had to go on, you know, on camera, and uh, and it was, it really was innocent. So, um, you know, and, and the gold lip gloss, I mean, I went out and I did buy gold lip gloss, and it does work very well. He says he still uses the gold lip gloss. That's so funny. That is, yeah, because Martha said to ask that, like, oh God, you know, and 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 when you when you wrote that, that he still uses it. It's like, well, he's got, you know, he's got a pretty mouth. He might as well, you know, show it off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he does. You know, it's like, uh, but oh, that's so cool. He remembered that because that was, and he never even. You know, he never insinuated anything else, and if he had, I wouldn't have done anything else anyway, you know, so it was just all very rice pudding, you know. <laughs> I, 
So it, it seems like, you know, at least from the stories in the book, it seems you were able to transition out of the VJ life and onto other professional projects better than some of the some of the VJs. I mean, there's no story of you, you know, hiding your head in an employment office. Do you think that being out the door a little earlier than the others helped? You were able to transition a little better? Well, I think what what I had that the others didn't have is prior to MTV, I had a manager, who I'm still with the same manager, and I had agents. I had several agents. Mm, okay. So I already had um, representation because I was starting to make a mark, you know, little by little. You know, it takes forever. But, you know, with the acting and, and uh, you know, voiceover stuff and all that. So... I had Vicky Light, Light Company, and Eric Gold. Eric actually went on to, um, he was the executive producer of Living in, in Living Color and became Jim Carrey's manager. So, you know, it was a degree of professionalism, you know, that sure. I had behind me. Sure. And so when I took the job at MTV, it was it was kind of like, well, we'll wait and see, you know, give it three months, see if you like it, and you can always come back. And so in their mind, in my representative's mind, it was it was a temporary thing. They it never saw it as yeah, yeah they, they saw it as and, and in a way, you know, I looked at it as, you know, kind of that also, but not really, because there were the emotional things that happened, you know, with with being so attached to the job itself and, you know, with the coolest, you know, how cool of a job is it, right? So sure. that kind of overshadowed any type of business sensibility that I had, um, which much to the duress of, of, of Vicky and Danny uh, being my manager. I mean, so they were... Constantly, even while I was at MTV, they were pursuing the next thing as mm. as a good manager and a good agent does. And there were so many things that came up that I wasn't allowed to do. And all of them aren't even in the book. I mean, just countless things, you know, because we were under an exclusive contract. And, you know, this thing would come up and either I wouldn't be allowed to do it or... You know, I would also say, um, I'm not ready to leave. You know, in fact, the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the um, solid goal thing came up easily a year, year and a half, maybe two years before I actually took it. And uh, Rick Dees was the host when it first came up. And I said, I'm not ready to leave. And that would really frustrate you know, them back there. You can imagine. Sure, there were sure. many phone calls in the evening of them getting frustrated, but they also appreciated the fact that I loved what I did, but they were also very concerned in the fact that it would be a typecasting situation, which indeed it ended up being. <laughs> and and Vicky, Vicky and Danny both were really concerned that that was going to happen, and they didn't want... Uh, me to lose the acting side of things, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like the serious, serious actress, which, you know, you're a VJ on MTV, nobody's going to hire you for Joan of Arc, you know, come on. And that was the kind of stuff I was working on before, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, so that I think is why a very long answer to your question, but, um, you know, Paramount apparently wanted me so much on there. They upped the ante that last year and threw in uh, Entertainment Tonight also. And it was like an unprecedented thing for them to have one person at the time do two shows. And then um, I had uh, I had several other offers. I don't need to list them. But between that and things changing in MTV, kind of the... Um, the patina uh, <clears throat> getting wiped away of what our job was. I mean, they had a news department now, so mm -hmm. our duties as VJs really were stifled. I mean, there was no there was no area to grow in. 
um, I remember distinctly Mark and I wanting to do a show together, a specific show together, and they didn't want to hear about it. They didn't want us to do anything but, like, you know, do what we were doing, and those right. duties were getting, some of them were getting eliminated, you know. So it was like, you know, all right, here it is. Uh, it's time to jump. You know, it's time to graduate is how yeah, I you felt. You had someplace to jump to. That's right. That's, so that's exactly the- right. You mentioned in the book that you bought um, your manager an MG, and I'm a British car guy, so I have to ask: Does he still have the MG? Um, you know, it's in storage somewhere. Um, he's a big MG guy, and consequently, I I used to love Austin Healy's. Oh, they're beautiful. Austin, do you like Austin Healy? Oh, I, love, I love Austin Healy's. I have a Triumph Spitfire. I aspire to own ah! a car as nice as an Austin Healy. Oh uh, yeah, but well, I love I love uh, British sports cars too. I absolutely do. And um, Danny and I had two midgets of '67 that burned oil. Uh, being a, we we could talk for hours about this Prad. So I am totally into little uh, MG and British, little British sports cars. cars. But oh, love them. And then we got a '76. Um, midget that we drove across country and uh, with a big trunk oh my on God, the back. You're kidding me? No, <laughs> and get this. You well, it was Danny and I, but this was so funny. And he likes the heat, so of all things, he wanted to take the southern route in June. <laughs> and so we have uh, somewhere he has them in storage, but photos of Danny at the Grand Canyon underneath the car, you know, in Phoenix underneath the car, you know, all across the country, stops of him underneath the car, you know, and I, and you know how you have to sit right up against the firewall, you know, and those things, and I hate the heat. I was in misery. I had a spray bottle the whole way across. I'm dying over there, you know. It was very funny. So, <clears throat> you know, we had this the, the 76 when I was out in L.A., and I drove that around. And then uh, he knew that MG's were, MG was going out of business. Right. And he wanted to get uh, the last, um, you know, the last year that they made them. What was it? Um, Eighty or eighty-one. It, it must have been, yeah, because I left in eighty-one. So, but I went down and used my. Um, I got a loan through SAG <laughs> to get this car. I drove it. You know, it was going to be both of ours, our car, right? So, uh, so I get the loan. I test drive it. That's all I ever got to drive the thing. And then I get the MTV job. And it's like, oh, man. You know, there you go. All right, well, there's the car. So he I'm still has that. Still has it. What? I'm glad to hear he still has it. Yeah, and he also has, um, I, I, this has always been a bum block since I met it. But he has a um, 51 MGA. Oh, wow. Yeah, really cool, but um, that has been on blocks really since I met him like over 30 years ago. He's never gotten running, but he has both of those in storage somewhere. It's one of those restoration projects that you never get around to, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the the midgets are, are gone. I mean, the, the midgets don't don't, uh, unless they're mint condition, you know, you don't get your money's worth out of those little guys. No. But yeah, so the, the yeah, oh, it's white too. It's very pretty, the B, MGB. <laughs> so it's out there in case you want to buy it. I'll, <laughs> I'll watch for him when I'm out in the out in my Spitfire. <laughs> I, I know I know uh, Nina that you're probably asked this all the time, and but today's uh, MTV doesn't bear much resemblance to the MTV that that we grew up on. I, I'm wondering, do you recall a time when you worked there when you began to think? You know something's changing here, and 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 also I'm kind of curious to know, uh, you know what what is your verdict on on where it is today? Well, you know, it, it was something that was kind of intangible, but it was starting, and that's what what I was saying earlier about um, you could feel a sea change, uh, which is why I ultimately left. I didn't know it was going to go in the direction it went, but. You could feel it. It was in the air, the changes that maybe weren't, you know, 
the, well, to me, weren't that great were going to happen. <laughs> but I left before any of that reality TV uh, hit, like the first one being real life, real world, I mean, real life, real world, um, remote control. Um, I was gone by the time those those came on. So, um, and actually, uh, you know, and I don't mean this to sound like, oh, you know, blah, 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 you know, but I was so busy with the stuff I was doing, I didn't even have a chance to watch MTV anymore. I didn't have any, I really didn't have any downtime. I was working three full-time jobs, you know, so it was like, when am I going to watch MTV? So I didn't really, I wasn't part of watching the transition. And then by the time I did have time to watch it, you know, it was into the um, Rock the Vote, which I liked all that. And um, so why they did what they did, obviously it's a bottom line financial um, thing. Obviously they're making a lot of money. I, I, Martha and Alan will be very diplomatic about it. I think it sucks. <laughs> you know, I, I can't, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I understand everybody wants to be, you know, make money, but at least keep what, uh, some core of what music television was about. That's why it was unique. I, 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 you can't have what it was back in the 80s, of course not, progress, you know, yes, but don't lose the essence entirely. If you want to have, you know, like, I would stretch it to say 40% because I hate reality TV, whatever channel it's on. I really, I, I, I'm just, I don't like it. Unless it's like nature reality, you know what I mean? And that's not reality programming, that's documentary. But I don't like that stuff. I think it, I think it, uh, I actually think it makes people stupider <laughs> watching it. <laughs> I mean, I, I I do. It's like, how can your brain even be that dumb to sit there and look at it? You know, it's like, not that watching videos, you know, is like, you know, splitting the atom, but at least it's music. You know what I mean? It's music. It has another element, you know, but this stuff. So I, I just, I, I'm really sorry that, um, I'm disappointed. That's the word, disappointed that it went into the direction that it did, you know, but, hey, it did. <laughs> and I don't think it's cutting edge anymore. I really don't. I, I You know, it's kind of like part and parcel of the disposable uh, pop culture society, really. Well, we couldn't agree with you more, and we can't thank you enough for the time you spent with us today. Well, we will continue, of course, to listen to you on Sirius, and... Um, I'm, I, I can't wait to, to see the next chapter and, and what unfolds in the life of the VJs. Yeah, <laughs> I guess we can't either. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was so nice to talk to you and Brad. Really cool to get up so early. And, oh, it's um, my absolute pleasure. You know, and and I really enjoyed this with you. And that is such a funny thing about uh, Bob Den. And that was in Florida. Yeah, Clearwater, Florida. He was just here a couple of days ago too, and I had another chance to interview him. And I'm like, I don't know if I could top uh, him playing uh, the Beverly Hillbillies to me backstage. And so, oh, I might, I might shoot him a little email, and and I, I wonder if he'll remember. Kind of like the Adam Ant thing that he yeah. remembered the. <laughs> yeah, well, you guys are wonderful, and I really, really appreciate your time, and and uh, and also that you read the book. Oh, we love it, and uh, we're gonna make sure yeah. everyone else knows about it too. Oh, uh, thank you. Well, a big hug to both of you across the wires. <laughs> thank you, Nina. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Amazing interview. Yeah, I just... I- you know, obviously, this is the first one that I've participated in for Stuck in the Eighties, or really for anything. Uh, and she was just so she's so sweet. I mean, she put me at ease right away. She's asking me if the wildfires that were burning at the time were anywhere near my house, and it was just very, you know, very human, very. Cool. She was into she was into you, dude. <laughs> she was <laughs> like, uh, 
Steve Spears is a nice guy, but this Brad Williams, I'm really liking him. Well, you know, it's the British car thing, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. The, um, how nervous were you beforehand? I mean, were you nervous at all? You know, I was not as nervous as I thought I would be. I thought I was going to really be kind of freaking out. And I was, the night before, I was a little worried about it. But then in the morning, I'm getting up and I'm just kind of getting things set up. And, and then she calls and she's just so gracious and very charming. And she just very quickly puts you at ease. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And she's obviously she's a just she's a consummate pro. She's been doing this forever, um, and the things that we edited out where you don't hear me stumbling over things, she would just say, "Oh, can you give me that again?" <laughs> you know, and it was just like no big deal. Um, yeah, what a class act. Yeah, I mean, plus she's been doing these same questions presumably for the last month, so she's at ease doing it. Right. Um, well, but yeah, I, I mean, felt like even though she's, I'm sure she's answered all those questions a hundred times, she was very, I thought she was really giving with her answer. She really gave us a lot, you know, a lot of an answer. It wasn't just, a, oh, yeah, it was kind of like that, you know, next. Right, right. And I mean, you know, and we did read the book. I read the book cover to cover in 48 hours before the interview. And in fact, stay tuned for the Seggies and find out how you can win an autographed copy of VJ, The Unplugged Adventures of MTV's First Wave, signed by every uh, surviving VJ. Wow. Am I eligible for that drawing, Steve? Yeah, you are. I'm going to make you eligible for that drawing. <laughs> I think that would be untoward. Oh, look. I drew a name out of the hat, and it was mine. Hooray. <laughs> There's only one way to get to that part of the show, and that's for us to say the magic words. The, the Seggies. Ah, the familiar refrain of reader mailbag. And we have, uh, I think, was it three emails this week? Indeed we do, Stephen Q. Spears. The first one I see is from our old friend Crash from Long Beach. Would you like me to read this letter, Steve? I'd be yes, please. That's your job. Ah, very good. Dear Stephen Brad, great Adam Ant show. Steve, as always, your interviews are fantastiche. You prepare I well. I haven't said that word in so long. I really miss it. Well, we could we could bring it back. People said I overdid it. It could be the so. retro word of 2013. We'll uh, try. So, anyway, back to the letter. You prepare well. Uh, do you? I don't know. Um, ask thoughtful questions and engage well with professionalism and just a sprinkle of boyish adoration. Uh, I think you have a fan there, Steve. I think Crash is going to write my next resume. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Uh, just like we would all be if we were in your shoes. Well, we'd like to think so anyway. Uh, of course, you remain well-spoken while most of us would stumble on our words. Uh, again, I don't think Crash is familiar with the editing process, is he? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Enough editorializing. Kudos to you, good sir. I can't wait to hear the upcoming interviews this summer. I'm hoping to see Adam Ant at the Club Nakia show on July 20th. I assume that is the show Brad and his son will be at as well. That's correct. Looking forward to it. And thanks to Brad, I will add some of his deeper track suggestions to my iPod's Adamant catalog. Kudos to you, Sir Brad. Sorry if I sound like a jolly highwayman, but you've gotten me in the mood. Crash from Long Beach. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, let's see who's next. Kevin Wench. Kevin Wench. Kevin serving Wench. So here's what Kevin has to say. A little late in giving feedback for the marvelous Adamant podcast. While I think the theme podcasts are my favorite, I must say that this latest interview podcast reminded me of why the podcast is so good. A few interviews mingled with the usual hijinks podcasts make for a well-balanced meal for us podcast-hungry consumers. Signed, Kevin Wench. Hey, and if you haven't been um, visiting the blog as much lately, I know, um, you know time marches on and maybe you only listen to the podcast now and maybe you only check in on the Facebook page, but Kevin Wench... Is He's been doing, doing a yeoman's job. Yes. He writes a daily um, or a five-day-a-week column for Stuck in the 80s blog called uh, Lost and Found in the 80s, where he comes across he, – he, every day he picks a different band and a different song that you probably remember them, but you forget that they, ne that they never charted. I mean, it charted, but – Or you didn't – you don't remember anything about the band. You might recognize yeah. like the chorus. Right. And, and they never – it was never a top 20 hit. So you might have uh, an emotion, but it might be you know, I engineer. Yeah. yeah. So, but it's it's really it's um, people love it. Um, I love reading. I learn something every day when I read uh, his columns. So definitely check it out. It's at uh, still at tampabay.com slash blogs slash eighties. And and whatever you're paying him, Steve, I think you should double it. Um, <laughs> I I can easily double it. It won't change my budget whatsoever. 
Uh, who's the last uh, friendly uh, email? Our last friendly email, yeah. Those are the generally the only kind we read because, you know. The mean people stopped listening to us a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for the hate mail. Um, so here we go. Here's a letter from our good friend and occasional co-host, Drew. Hey, guys. I just finished listening to the Adamant Interview podcast. What a great interview and so cool to hear one of my favorite artists from the 80s still sound like he's having fun. I also like hearing how he had no ill will towards McLaren. He seemed a lot more down to earth than I expected for some reason. Anyway, great interview and looking forward to hearing more. Always stuck in the 80s. Signed, Drew. As always, you can send your emails to sit80s at gmail.com or if you want to just talk to Brad, Brad in the 80s at gmail.com or if you just want to talk to me, Steve in the 80s at gmail.com. Send Steve the hate mail. Send me the nice ones. I'm fragile. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. Hey, we'll play a snippet of movie from the 80s if you can get it right. Here's the deal. Here's how you have to win the book this week. If you get this week's um, movie challenge right and song uh, challenge right, you have to get them both. They will throw you – your name gets thrown into the pool and we'll draw a name out and you will get um, an autographed copy of VJ The Unplugged Adventures of MTV's First Wave by Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, and Martha Quinn. It will be yours. All you have to do is drive over to Steve's place and pick it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Longwood, Florida. I'll even give you directions. So uh, I think that's uh, fair. I know we have listeners in the Orlando area, but now that I live here, I never hear from them. And it's kind of funny because the same thing in Tampa. I mean, I knew we had a lot of listeners in Tampa, but for the most part, I only met like maybe three of them. That's funny. I know. It's kind of weird. I don't know what that's all about. Anyway. Yeah, I thought, you know, I ought to have a, we ought to have like a LA area event and like meet for beers one night and see if people wanted to come out. I don't know. Maybe yeah, we'll, maybe we'll fun. try that later this summer. That'd be fun. Yeah. Anyway, pay attention. Here was the last show's mystery clip. What do you want to do tonight? I don't know. Uh, watch TV. Mess around. Whatever you want to do. Mess around sounds good. Yes, that's zapped with the immortal Scott Bayo. May he rest in peace. I'm, I'm now very confused. <laughs> no, he's not dead. Just his movie career. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, no. do, you, do you remember this movie, Brad? I do. It's funny. I remember. I, we talked a little bit about it after you chose it. I'm like, I think that's what it is. And just because it sounded like Scott Bayo. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember when it came out. It seemed like, oh my gosh, this is super racy, you know? Oh, it's really racy. Well, it's, I don't know. Have you seen hard it lately? R. Have you seen it lately? There's a lot of there's frontal a nudity, fair bit of nudity in it, but it's actually it's actually kind of sweet. I mean, by modern sensibilities, it's kind of a sweet movie. I watched it just this weekend. I, I needed something just mindless to watch, and it was on Netflix <laughs> streaming. And it's a very definition of mindless. It's got it's got Willie Ames in it's it. It's got right? Scatman Crothers in it. Oh <laughs> my gosh. It's 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 got a really interesting soundtrack that'll stick with you for some reason, and I don't know if it's a good reason or not. Yeah, uh, but it, it's definitely an R movie that you don't want to show the kids. But yeah, absolutely, you could totally remake this and uh, and as a PG thirteen. It kind of has some sweetness to it. Like there, there's a prom scene, and the prom is in their high school gym. Like they, they yeah. just don't do that anymore. They didn't do yeah. that when I was a kid. The, the I mean, dresses cover you know ninety percent of the girls' bodies, and it's just it's mind blowing. <laughs> Right, and Scott Bale falls in love with like uh, a geek, right? Yeah, she's a fellow geek. She's yeah. a geek. He falls in love with another geek. It's a, it's it's a good it's a match made it's in on, It's on streaming Netflix. Yeah, for that matter. So, so check so, it out. Check read it out. our. Uh, we only had three winners. We though. only have a few winners because only a few people truly appreciate this timeless classic. Uh, this week's winners are they do not include. They are Ken Psych Ward, Mister Big W, and our old pal Marty. It's not me. It's you. Pay attention. Here's part one of our book challenge. See if you can name this 80s movie. Somebody named DMK in sixth place? When did this happen? Look, don't be an overachiever. You'll fit in better with your age group, okay? If you know it, email us at sit80s at gmail.com, brad in the 80s at gmail.com, or steve in the 80s at gmail.com. Good luck, but you still need to answer the next seggy to get the book. Yeah. <laughs>
Ah, my old friend, the theme song for Name That 80s Tune, the original Seggy on Stuck in the 80s. Uh, once again, we will play a snippet of a song from the 80s. If you get it right, uh, you can get the book if you got the movie one right. But first, let's answer last week's mystery clip. Don't let it get me That's Sparks with Eaten by the Monster of Love. Oh, yes. A timeless classic from the brothers. I can't remember their last name. <laughs> That's something we're not going to fix in the editing process. You will live with your shame. Oh, okay, fine. I love this from the Valley Girl soundtrack. Yeah. So, Still funny story. most listened to soundtrack. Go ahead. Funny story funny about story. this. I love this movie, right? And it was on, on the TV. But, you know, the credits roll and you see them on TV and it's so tiny you can't actually read what the song title is a lot of times. And so right. for years I was sure this was eaten by the lobster of love. <laughs> Which actually I think is funnier. Eaten by the lobster. It makes even less sense. I had to see the lyrics to this song. I still don't I'm not sure I completely understand them. Don't let it get me. Yeah, don't, don't let it get let me. Get me. Yeah. Yeah. Are they on the uh are they on the uh, bill for the uh, Lost 80s tour this year? Uh I don't believe so. Uh, that's a shame. Yeah. I would like to hear them live just once. Anyway, we had uh plenty of winners, uh including one that left us a little mini email. So yeah, I love that. Have at it. It's like a bonus email. Okay. This week's winners include Crash from Long Beach, Gabriel Daigle, Eric in Alpharetta, Georgia, Shazam from St. Louis. Yes, he says that's St. Louis. I thought maybe it was uh, Studio to Transmitter Link. That's a little broadcast lingo for you folks. And uh, Lizette the Valley Girl. And as Steve mentioned, we also got a little note from Christine in Philly, who correctly identified the song and writes, Hi, Steve. Not Brad. Yeah, well, okay. I'll take it. That's fine. The song this week is Eaten by the Monster of Love by Sparks from one of my favorite and yours movies, Valley Girl. I think one of the best soundtracks for a movie ever. It's funny. I was flipping through the guide on my TV with my kids, who are 12 and 8, and came across Valley Girl. And so I think, hmm, let me see what part is on. Maybe the kids can watch a few minutes with me. Uh, no. I turned it on. Where do you think she turned it on? Right at the party scene with Lauren and Tommy in the bedroom. That's, you know, that's where jumpsuits earn their reputation right there. I love the line. So, Tommy, does this going to mean like we're going together? We're going steady. No, I think it means you're a pretty bad friend. Getting with your friend's ex-boyfriend when he's in a bad way. Yeah. Not good. Not cool, bro. So, Christine continues. Damn. Had to turn it off. I think the only nudity in that film was at that moment. Um, um, there's a little more sprinkled through, but the that's the bathroom. most. In the yeah. Hollywood club when Randy's all messed up and he bumps into his ex-girlfriend. Yeah. And they go at it in the bathroom. But that's the, like, front and center. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Daily. <clears throat> so, my kids are not as enamored with the 80s as I am. I try to get them to watch Alfrey runs. Well, that might be one problem. They don't do that. But no, they can't be bothered. Disney Channel rules in our house. When I point out that someone was popular in my youth, I'm 44, my son asks, are they dead? <laughs> <laughs> Real nice. Anyway, great show, as always, and enjoy your summer. Christine and Philly. Oh, Tommy, no other Val dude can touch him. Ready? Here comes part two of our special book challenge. Pay attention. See if you can recognize this song. <laughs> If you know it, email us at sit80s at gmail.com. Steven is at gmail.com. Brad is at gmail. But you remember, you got to have them both right. That's right. We'll, got to have we'll the see. daily double. Uh, and we will throw your name into the pot to receive the book. No charge whatsoever. I'll pay for the postage. What a guy. We'll be right back after this commercial break. I know Cool, and Cool's teaming up with a good balanced breakfast. Teaming up with Mr. T cereal. It's getting on the team, the team that knows how cool breakfast can be. You get a crispy corn taste with a touch of brown sugar. Teaming up with Mr. T. It's cool. Teaming up with Mr. T. Golden sweet crispy teas. One bite and you're gonna be eating with the team that's teaming up with Mr. T. It's cool. Teaming up with Mr. T.
left in the show so let me ask brad brad do you remember when you first started watching mtv i think it would be when we moved to california um we did not get mtv out in lovely weatherford oklahoma i had to satisfy my need for videos with uh you know like night tracks on wtbs Um, so that would have been second half of 84 i don't think i've ever asked you this but why did your family move from oklahoma to to California. Um, Aside from the obvious reason that you have to, to why would <laughs> <laughs> uh, my dad was a university uh, professor and he got a job offer to teach at Cal State Fullerton and so we came out. Okay. And I was uh, you know I was going to stay. I'm like I'm not moving this right before my senior year in high school. Um, we'd lived there in that town since I was in kindergarten, so I was like, I'm, you know, I'm not going. Over the summer, I kind of realized, you know, wait a minute, I've been telling anybody that would sit still for two minutes that I couldn't wait to get out of this town, and now I'm not taking the opportunity to leave early and go to Southern California? What's wrong with you, Williams? Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, I want to say MTV for me, you know, obviously it comes out in eight in 81. Very few people saw it then. It was years, I mean, because very few people had cable. Yeah, it was available in Oklahoma City pretty early, but I did not live in Oklahoma City. Yeah, (laughs) the big town. Yeah, the the city. uh, The city. Um, In Florida, where I lived, uh, Clearwater, which is in the Tampa Bay area, um, cable had not yet arrived in my neighborhood. So what used to happen was my mom was a night nurse, and one of the people she worked with um, had cable. So she would take a six, you know, a, v, a VHS tape, sure, tape six hours of videos, and I give it to my mom. I I'd, I'd be able to watch it. I'd watch it over and over again until I got another tape. That's you know what? That's probably about the same experience as watching <laughs> it live because they didn't have that much stuff. Yeah, and so I can I can tell you with complete and total certainty, the very first MTV video I ever saw was on tape, and it was. Uh, Bega Johnny by uh, nice. Men at Work. Nice. And I think also on that tape was Golden Earring. Um, Twilight Zone? Yeah. And that was a tape that almost got my MTV uh, privileges revoked because my mom didn't like the line when the bullet hits the bone. Oh. She saw that well, video. Well, she's a nurse. You know. Yeah, I know. She did not like the message that – or the – Whatever the message that song was. Yeah. Um, don't this be close. a hitman, I think, is the yes. message that song. The big syringe coming after the guy. No, trust me, I was this close to never seeing MTV again until I was an adult. So, um, But anyway, the book is called VJ, The Unplugged Adventures of MTV's First Place. I know a lot of Stuck in Ease fans have already uh, seen it or uh, are in the process of reading it, and you're yeah. going to enjoy it. it it's, it's a fun it's read. A, it's a very fun, fun read. read. It's just stories from the VJs that have been organized by the author, Gavin Edwards. Perfect to take with you to the beach or the pool. And like I said, if you can get both challenges right this week, you can have an autographed edition. I'm, I'll be happy to send it to you. Ooh, uh, I'm going to have to enter <laughs> under a false name. Yes. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, I, 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 will, I will drop this hint to you. There might be another VJ that we'll be talking to in the coming weeks. Uh, we're, we're ramping up a lot of interviews lately uh, now that we figured out how to do it. So stay tuned because uh, here the MTV revolution never ends, my friends. Right? You got right? that right, brother. <laughs> so in the meantime, Nina Blackwood, Nana, Brad, and myself, we all remain here hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Mm-hmm. 